1: Hello everybody, welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington in the studio all by myself with Benjamin, our producer. Benjamin, how are you? I'm doing good, how's everybody? Benjamin, you have such such a a, a nice tone in your voice. You should really be doing this instead of me. Oh no, you got it. <laughs> I can't hear Benjamin. And well that's good because we don't want you here Mind, because he's making all kinds of snide remarks about you. Now that's Evan yeah, Grant. Yeah. Uh, and, and Evan Grant is in Cleveland where the Rangers are playing the Indians. Uh, and as we tape this on Tuesday morning, they're coming off a, a pretty spectacular performance by Mike Miner, who apparently has calmed down now that he, he is still a Ranger. That was his biggest fear in life was that the Rangers were going to trade him. and now they have not. So, Mike's now Mike's back to rocking, right? Uh,
0: listen, he said he made a minor, um, no, uh, I guess every uh, adjustment he makes is a minor adjustment. But he said <laughs> he had made, he made an adjustment and kind of compacted his delivery a little bit. But it, it it's pretty clear, whether Mike wants to acknowledge it or not, that uh, all the evidence certainly suggests the trade deadline really bamboozled him. Um he was very cooperative in dealing with the media uh, throughout it. Did not want to talk about this stuff. Does not like talking about himself. Um but he did. And then he goes after last night and look, he's always pitched well against Cleveland. We just went through the numbers. I think coming into coming into last night he had uh allowed um one run in Sixteen and a third innings against them since he went to Kansas City and in, um, in 2017, um, but he's just looked more at ease. You know, I mean, and it, it's not hard to go from that perspective that he really struggled in July when the trade did when the trade deadline rumors continued to ramp up and when he had to deal with all that stuff to here it is August one. And also, you know, I I think there's something to be said. I'm going to ramble for a second, but
1: Oh, why is that any different?
0: You know, there's no, there's no trades in August this year. And um, he said something after the game last night about, look, we know this is our team now. We know this is what our, our roster is. And, we know that if we're going to get back into it, this is what we've got, and and there's some, there's something. Um, I, I guess there's something soothing about that for for players, so the stability and the familiarity, and and he went out and, and and beat a team that was leading the wild card race, and I, I, it's beyond me, Kevin. We're sitting here after the trade deadline. The Rangers traded a reliever. They they got rid of a couple other players, um, and here we are, more than two thirds of the way through the season, and the Rangers have crept back to the fringes of the wild card race. It's just, it's nutty.
1: It is very nutty. You know the the thing about uh, Mike Miner that strikes me, and, and of course I didn't know him, you know, from Adam before this season. Uh, I mean, I knew who he was, but I just didn't know really. Oh,
0: you knew, but you knew Adam Miner.
1: I knew Adam Miner, yeah. Uh, is uh, well, uh, a little bit, but the, the thing is about him is that he has said all along, listen, you know we I, basically I believe in this team if, if we can make a move and, and, and add somebody, and this is what he was saying in May, of course, but uh, you know he, he just gives you the impression of a guy who really wants to buy in or has bought in on this team and being in this organization. And of course, we talked about, and I wrote about, and you wrote about, you know, the what the Rangers needed to do, and and probably the best thing uh, uh, for the Rangers would would have been to have traded him. Uh, of course, but the the thing is, you have to get somebody on the other side of the deal to do that, and you and you're certainly right. not going to give him away. And and we don't know what the the trade offers were and how close they got with anybody on minor. You know, there weren't, you know, with exception of Trevor Bauer, uh, you know, and. Uh, Zach Greinke, and Zach Greinke, you know, and, and Strowman. Right. Those were the only pitchers, the only premium pitchers that moved at the deadline, and only one of them brought a major return, and that was Granky, you know, going to the Astros. So short of getting something like that, uh, I wouldn't have done the deal either. You know, I, 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 you might as well ride this out. Now, I don't know what that means long-term for Mike Miner with the Rangers. I don't know. If they are working on a deal with him or not, they should be working on a deal with him to extend his contract. uh, Because going into into next year with him uh, with only one season left, it doesn't give you any kind of uh, leverage on a deal. That if you decide, you know, if if you're out of it at the at the deadline next year, no one's going to give you anything for a rental. Um, And and if 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 Mike, I I don't know if he's going to want to work on a deal. Before the season is out, Uh, I don't know if he'd want to work on a deal after the season is out. At that point, I'm sure his agent's probably telling him, let's just sit on this and see what we can get on the open market next year. Um, Well,
0: I I mean, I I think you're also talking about a little bit different of an animal here. Um, And I do agree that based on the way it seemed like the trade stuff um, impacted him, that maybe right now you don't want to, you don't want to go to him with a contract conversation. Yeah. Um, And it may behoove John Daniels to go into the winter and depending on where this team finishes and how it finishes and say, okay, well, we know that there wasn't a ton of interest in him uh, at the, um, at the deadline in, in the way that we wanted. Maybe when, uh, everything gets reset, and more teams think they're competitors or contenders. Maybe somebody will give us a real offer, but I do think at this point in time, you really have to enter into the idea with starting starting as early as October. You need to to reach out to Mike Miner and see if there is an extension that works for both sides. I think he'd be willing to take something on the shorter on the shorter end, maybe. Three years, um, and and I think that you know, if you're the Rangers, you have to look at it and say, okay, well, let's, let's look. There's there's eight weeks left in the season, and let's see what happens the rest of August and September. I'm not going to say everything's magically fixed after one start, but he certainly gave the impression last night that that a lot of what was um, at issue was not necessarily pitching related and he rolls off he rolls off uh, a good finish to the season and you know you have to consider look we've got we've got an ace here who wants to be here so and we can back him up with a guy who when he starts on wednesday is looking to be to to pitch at least six innings for the 19th consecutive time those are two good pieces with which to start a a a um, contending rotation and you should have some financial wherewithal this winter you should have some uh, ability to go out and, and make a play for a pitcher or two.
1: Yeah, you know, this this is the thing that I'm uh, just pretty much stumped by. I'm not sure exactly what, the, is in, what John Daniels has in mind. I thought it was interesting at the deadline when he said basically that, yeah, we have a lot of options with Mike Miner, and, uh, and we'll see. And one of those includes keeping him, you know, maybe long-term walk, uh, working out some kind of deal and it's it's like you said let's talk about that a little bit too cuz i think sometimes people feel like oh if a guy's not traded at the deadline well then when are you gonna when are you gonna trade him well there are, there are a couple of things at work here of course at the deadline it's a greater possibility you can hold somebody up you know you can you know somebody is really desperate they they think they're one you know one player away one pitcher away from from going all the way and and not that the astros were desperate with arizona but but Jeff Lunau really wanted to make sure that we, we, I can sew this thing up. And so he sent four pretty good prospects uh, to Arizona for, for Zach Greinke, who's 35 years old. Uh, and he had, um, is I is, uh, take that back. Is he 35 years old? That sounds right. 35. Yes, yeah. Uh, and he's going to be making $35 million next year uh, and the year after that as well. And, of course, they got, I think, $24 million as part of the deal Arizona sent along, but they're still going to be paying him a lot of money. So, um, so, uh, but the thing is, in the offseason, season, you, as you pointed out, you also have a lot more teams that might be willing to trade for for Mike Miner at that point. My question is, is that what is what do we think about the market now? Because because Mike's going to be uh, next year, he'll be thirty two, correct?
0: Yeah, uh, he's turning. Yeah, I believe that's correct. I think he turns thirty two in December. Yeah.
1: So, it will be 32 years old, not a lot of miles on the arm, um, but uh, we're not sure, you know, you, you can't ever be sure of the guy at this stage who's had the kind of history that he's had, the health history he's had, about what uh, what there is in store. I've been on record that I think that it's it's worth the gamble to, to extend him if you're going to keep him uh, because...
0: Yes, but you're also on record as saying, got to trade him
1: well Thank i said you, th- i have been all over you, the map. You, my friend are
0: all over the map
1: i'm all over the map but i was i said they got to trade him for for a big deal a a t- mark to share a kind of starter kit here uh that's what i said and they couldn't do that uh so like i said i'd right. like to have known why the discussions went in some of those other places um I, I, let,
0: I mean, let, let me say this: Even if you, the great thing about the minor the minor situation too is, even if you don't have um, the kind of home run interest that you would that, that would move you to make a deal for him this winter, this guy is going to make nine point five million dollars next
1: year. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not a it's not a mistake. You know that that's that's yeah, the point. Yeah, I mean, because you know, let's let's face it: There's been some mistakes that they that they paid more than nine and a half million dollars for. Right. Right. Uh,
0: I, I just feel like they're, you know, they. I feel like it, it's it's easy to, to sit here and verbally paint yourself into a corner of saying you got to do this or you got to do that. But there's always more than two answers. And I, I do feel like that the Rangers are in a good situation with Mike Minor regardless of, of. Uh, of what happens. Uh, he, he comes back and he prints a rotation that should be better than it was this year. Um, he gets traded um, to a team that brings you back uh, the kind of return or close to the return you were looking for at the deadline. Um, he's extended and you go out and add to the rotation and, and get a guy like a Garrett Cole, um, uh, or maybe even on a shorter term deal, you bring Cole Hamills back, and you've got a rotation now that uh, can compete with just about anybody. So I, I feel like this is one of those situations where the Rangers are just in a in a good situation on the pitching front.
1: Yeah, let's talk about your your new buddy Lance Lynn, because um, y'all are y'all are best pals now, aren't you? We are. Yeah. And that's not the case before. I believe that he hated you.
0: Well, most people do. Until they get to know the (laughs) real Evan. Um, He didn't hate you. after that, they still hate
1: me. Yeah. He didn't hate you, but he he was a little gruff. uh, And now we think maybe he was just kind of uh, leading you boys along uh, a little bit. Uh, But he has been... In some ways, more impressive than minor. Uh, you uh, uh, the the book on Lance Lynn always was. Well, you know what you're getting with him. He's a guy who's going to pile up innings. He's going to he's going to power through stuff. Uh, he, he may not be great, but he's going to give you a lot of innings. Well, he's done more than that for the Rangers. Uh, you know, we we've talked about and you have written about you know the adjustments that he made. The, he bought into what the Rangers were telling him about using how he used his fastball and. And he's piled up a lot of strikeouts. Uh, he's gonna—he's on his way to a career high in strikeouts. Maybe get over. I think. I guess he's thirty strikeouts away from two hundred. Does that sound about right? Uh, I don't think he's
0: at. No, I think he's a little bit farther away. And I'm not sitting in front of my stats
1: right now. I think. I think I might be right about that one. But anyway, and the point is, is that he was asked about it the other night, and he said, uh, "Yeah, he—he he really would like that. He's excited about that possibility." So you know he's already under contract for two more years anyway, so it's kind of a moot point. Uh, but the but the deal is, uh, if you've got a pitcher like Lance Lynn, who he comes in here, uh, not a certainly not a big time signing for the Rangers. He was a smart signing. I thought all along this is good. This is what they needed to do is add a add a pitcher like this at a reasonable cost. Um, and he certainly was on an uptick the second half of last year. His velocity had gone up some. Uh, but he has also, because he bought into what they were telling him, improved upon his uh, stats for the last few years. And I wonder what kind of message that might send to any other pitchers that might be available next year, as, as we call these middle-tier free agents. Um,
0: I think uh, it, it Listen, I still think the overwhelming, the overwhelming driver towards any deal for middle-tier free agents is going to be opportunity and security, um, yeah. and and probably in the inverse order there. Um, but certainly, the fact that the Rangers have made smart decisions and they gave Mike Miner an opportunity to start. When others didn't, um, that they went out and got Lance Lynn and have allowed Lance Lynn to throw a hundred plus pitches on, on a regular basis because his body seems to accept that load. Um, there's a there's an underlying message there that if we are going after you, we are going to allow you to we are going to allow you the opportunity to do what you think you are capable of. Um, but still, you gotta, you know, you gotta prove it. Um, early in the season, Lynn went out and he was throwing fastball after fastball after fastball, and he was getting ripped for the first four starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Rangers said, look, something's gotta change. Some things have gotta, some things have got to, um, be differentiated here. They worked with him a little bit on, on mixing up his pitch selection, um, just a little bit, uh, the results know that he's throwing the slider, uh, I think, 16% of the time now. Um, and, and so his fastball percentage, while still one of the heaviest in baseball, is a little bit lower, um, but he's just a little bit less predictable. And with his stuff and his, um, uh, his approach, uh, that seems to have made all the difference. You know, and, and a lot of times it may just be a little thing that makes all the difference. So there, there should be some evidence here that the Rangers have, um, have an idea that, hey, we've we've got an idea. We believe in you. We're going to let you go out and do what you think you can do, but we're also going to have a real conversation with you about stuff if if we uh, determine, or if you don't if you don't live up to that immediately. Let's put it that way.
1: Let's put it that way uh so so now let's see evan i'm gonna i've been asking all the questions and i want to kind of throw this out to you uh cast our net here where, where do you want to go now in this discussion we want to talk about uh what you wrote about uh for today's uh issue of the dallas morning news in which you got people like hunter pence and shinsu chu two quality veterans and both in the midst of very good years uh hunter pence especially a good year uh, he was an all-star uh, both buying in with uh, Chris Woodward's assessment that, listen, we're going to have to spread it around a little bit here, look at some of these young guys, see how they play. And not only did they buy in, but but Hunter Pence apparently spoke to the rest of the team about that.
0: Yeah, you know, this is such a typical Pence story, right? You know, here's a guy who's an all-star, who's probably the leading candidate for comeback player of the year, who, you know, he's 36 and would like to continue to play and has demonstrated the ability that he can help a club and the Rangers make these changes in July and, and it becomes clear that it's going to cut into to Pence's playing time in some, in some regard. Um, and Chris Woodward, you know, laid it out very straightforward for he and she. And, and Pence's response was, well, I'd like to actually talk to the team. And, Woodward didn't know what he wanted to talk to the team about. And Pence got in there and basically asked the team to buy in as well. Um, And she was told Woodward, hey, don't worry about me. Um, I know what I can do. Uh, If you need to see some of these guys play, uh, I I understand. I trust you. Um, And so I, I think this manager has really done a good job of, of, of earning the trust of the players. You know, in talking with Chu yesterday, he brought up the opening day situation and how awkward that was um, initially. But he and Woodward had a talk about it. And and the fact that Chris didn't, did, chose not to start him on opening day. Um, and it's something that, that Chu could have pouted about, but the two of them talked. And and both of them felt like afterwards their relationship was a lot stronger than than it was at, uh, a week prior to that. And she said, it's, it's difficult for me to give people trust. But when I do, I trust them completely. And, and I, told, I told the manager, look, I trust you. So um, I think that was a really good underlying message from, from that, that, that this, this team seems to have not only bought into what Chris Ward is selling, but they also seem to, to trust him. Uh, and I, I think look the response has been the response has been impressive um, five straight win now you know I I don't know if, if, if beating if, if sweeping a series against Detroit is a major accomplishment these days but they went out and they beat they shut out the the wild card leader um, last night in in their own home ballpark so a five-game winning streak has brought them back to the fringes of the, of the race. It gives them, um, with this club, it gives them reason to think that that they have reason to continue to play. And I, I think, look, there. For me, there are three things that were that were big priorities going into the season uh, in terms of, of of the Rangers. Well, well, four things. One is is the analytics side, and I think that that's something that. May be difficult to um, to really show up on the field. I think that's more in the decision making process. Um, but that was certainly a, a big off season goal for the club. Um, two was the culture that Chris Woodward was going to try and and, and set and uh, to get buy in. Uh, I think they I think we've demonstrated um, here on this podcast and you've seen uh, what has taken place on the field that there has been that buy. Uh, I think the third thing on the field was the the relative steps forward, and we've we've talked ad nauseum about Joey Gallo, Ruggedo Door, Nomar Mazara. Um, Joey made some big steps. Now he's hurt. Um, Ruggedo had a dreadful first half of the season, but he does seem to have been able to put the first half behind him in some regards, and and has had a very impressive. Uh, three weeks since the All-Star break. Um, Nomar has made some strides offensively. Um, uh, It doesn't, you know, he doesn't get, it it, it seems like he doesn't move the needle as wildly as as Odor does one way or another. But uh, I I think there have been some mixed signals there. Um, And I think the, the, the last thing was that, while we've seen really big steps forward on the pitching side, particularly from Minor and Lance Lynn at the major league level, and some surprising contributions from guys like Jurado, um, now most recently Piano, uh, the starters that were near the big league level in the minor leagues that you hope by the end of 2020 you could say this guy is a part of my rotation going forward, um, you have no answers on those guys. Taylor Hearn was a disaster, a, a, I, I hate saying disaster because it was an injury-caused um, uh, disaster, but he's out for the year. Joe Palumbo, his, his, his starts in the big league have been really spotty. Um, Jonathan Hernandez has not even been a consideration. And Brock Burke, I think, will get an opportunity and is pitching well in the minor league, but because he was hurt so much for the first half of the season, it really stunted uh, – the ability for which he could, at, at which he could be promoted. So, um, I guess it's a really long way of saying that I, I think that what Woodward is trying to sell and the culture he's trying to lay down, I think that's been as 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 close to a hundred percent check mark as the Rangers have had.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm just not positive. I think there's certainly been a buy-in uh, with with Woodward. Among most of the players, I'm, I'm not sure it's universal, and I, I don't mean that to say that that they're rejecting him on what he's saying. I just think that, uh, and you know, let's go back to guys like O'Dora and Mazzara. I I, I think that there is a little bit of feeling with those two guys. Uh, I got my way of doing things here, and 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 my way is the best way. This is the way I've always done it, and I'm just going to have to do it my way, uh, and you're just going to have to sit. And, and, and until I get this figured out, because Ruggie is obviously, you know, hitting much better. and has been uh, all he, most of July. Uh, just, He's just played much better than he had been the first half. But Ruggie's also done this kind of thing before, you know, where he has a, a bad half season and then puts together a nice second half. Uh, you know, uh, there have just been too many of these kind of streaks for me. To buy in on Rugi, I mean, if he if he finishes out the year strong, I don't I don't go into the next season thinking, well, he's got it all figured out and and he's ready to go. And then no, he, I,
0: I don't think you can. I don't think that you can at this point in time. Um, I, I don't think you, at this point in time you can. You can finish the season unless I mean unless Rugi absolutely goes off and carries his team for the last six weeks. And same thing with Mazzara. I don't think you can go into the season – go into the offseason feeling like you have answered anything definitively on those guys. Um, and that, that's troublesome because if you, if, if you haven't been able to answer it definitively um, and you're forced to kind of like say, okay, we're going to look at this again next year, I just don't feel like, hey, look, it could work out great next year. They could really make big steps next year. But you were thinking – these guys have all got – they're all above 2,000 career big league plate appearances now. There should be some baseline set. And I don't know that with those guys you've done anything other than other than with Mazzara established what should be a floor. And his floor should be about a 750 OPS, but his ceiling should be significantly higher.
1: Yeah, um, Here, Here's something I, – I, I maybe we, you and I have talked about this before – uh, our old pal Barry Horn says I'm obsessed over this. I was, uh, I was looking up something the other day because we were talking, there was a commercial uh, the MLB has out now. and has Mike Trout in it and it talks about, it has Mike, Mike Trout saying, you know, some people say I'm the greatest player ever. And, and certainly there are people who, who are saying that. And so I looked up, you know, war on, on these guys and, uh, and career war. And, of course, we know that Barry Bonds and Babe Ruth, or uh, Barry Bond's career is, is number one, and, and then uh, Babe Ruth is number two. And then if you look at, at individual seasons, Babe Ruth is three of the top five. So, you know, that's always my argument. That and when Mike Trout wins 20 games twice, then, then we'll talk. Uh, but uh, but my issue was I was look, going down that list, and I was surprised to find Joe Morgan, I think about, who's had like the ninth or 10th best season war ever, I think he had 11.1 with the Reds in 1975 when he had those back-to-back MVP seasons. And, of course, me growing up in Houston, you know, that's that's still a scar. Joe Morgan uh, in the big trade with the Reds. At the time, we all thought, all the, all us Houston fans thought it was, you know, great trade for the for the Astros because they got Lee May, the big home run hitter. And then it turns out that Joe Morgan is, you know, maybe the greatest second baseman ever. Uh, it, it, but the deal was I went back and looked at Joe's stats, and, and this is what surprised me. I, I couldn't remember – when he came up and of course that trade was made i guess in 1960s what's that 68 what was that trade? no later than that uh but at any rate i believe it was 1970 70 that's right yeah uh and joe uh, had been a very good player for the astros but he hadn't been a great player for the astros his last year for the astros he was 27 years old uh, and my point being that joe went on after that to become an mvp now there's a lot of feeling that he wouldn't have become that player had he not gone to the Reds because he was surrounded by great players. Um, there was a little bit of a question about Joe's attitude when he played with the Astros. There was a great story that I read from a Cincinnati writer um, who, who talked about the fact that, that Joe announced one day he was not going uh, to play because he was, just wasn't feeling good and that uh, it was either Tony Perez or, or Dave Concepcion. One, I think it was Perez. Uh, put a cot in front of his locker with a bottle of aspirin and a blanket and, and the message was received and Joe played that day. Uh, and, and so maybe he wouldn't have become that. But my point in all this rambling story is that Joe was, was 28 years old when his career took off. Uh, and so I, I, I've been as you know, frustrated watching Ruggio and Nomar Mazzara as anybody else but these guys are still 24 and 25 years old, um, and uh, and the Rangers aren't really going anywhere at this point. You know, do you really are they are you really ready to pull the plug on these guys at this point?
0: Yeah, I I, I don't know that you're I, I I don't think you're ready to pull the plug on these guys, but I think that where you where you stand is. You just don't have answers, and that's an uncomfortable place to be.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, and
0: absolutely. I, I think that if you don't have answers on them, you can't make other bets along the way to say we're all in. Um, I just think, you know, then it comes down to, well, we hope that there's going to be a step forward, but they've given you nothing to – back that up and this is a game now that you know decision making is based on on percentages and, and and more science than anything else and there's still an, an, a uh, there's still a amount of unpredictability in all this but I think the the issue is that you go into a season with no real answers about guys and you're not you're going to hedge your bet somewhat. So that's, the, that's where I think it impacts things. Is I don't think that the Rangers necessarily would just completely give up on these guys. I think the one exception there is you, know, you look at this team and you look around the diamond and if you, maybe if you just go with a right-handed first baseman, then that solves some of your, your, your balance issues. Um, but with Mazzara, Calhoun, Chu, Odor, um, who am I leaving out? Uh, Gallo. You know, if, Guz, if, if Guzmán, Ogallo, Guzmán—if those guys are all in the mix, it's a very left-handed lineup, and this team has proven very susceptible to left-handed hitters. So, I, I do think that there's a there's this measure of there's going to be a perception if they trade Mazzara that they've given up on Mazzara. Um, or I think that a big part of the uh, a big part of the situation is. We've we've gotten too left-handed, and in order to fix something, we're going to have to be willing to uh, to part with something. About
1: let me ask, yeah, and, and you and you have talked about that. And, that, and the point being that Mazzara is the guy who's the most tradable of that whole bunch, um, because you, you might get people who believe that his ceiling is higher, because uh, you just watch him and watch the swing and watch what he can do when he's going well. He looks like the kind of guy, he he looks like an intelligent hitter. He looks like the kind of guy who's going to go the opposite way, you know, who has power. Um, There's a lot to like, Uh, you know, and and certainly he would seem to be the kind of guy that has the highest ceiling, you know. Uh, But uh, that just still remains to be seen. So let me ask you about this then. So, and I wrote about this the other day, you know, you hate for me to say that, uh, about Danny Santana. So, what is the future in your mind for Danny Santana on this club?
0: Well, I think that the future for him is, um, and I know this is going to get all your blood all angried up and <laughs> churning, but I think it's it's super utility guy. Um, I, think he, um, uh, I, I think he can play second base, he can play first base, he can play center field. Um, he can play – I honestly feel like he can play at least one of the corner outfield spots, um, and I do think that, you know, one thing we've learned, I, I feel like we have learned, is you may not need a team full of versatility, um, but I do think that in today's day and age, um, especially with having taken all the amphetamines out of the game um, and, and taken all the PEDs out of the game, it is exposed that guys need more regular, more regular rest, and and because of that, you know, if you've got ten position players for nine spots, you essentially make everybody an everyday player um, at 120 games or 125 starts, uh, as opposed to 150. Um, and maybe you keep some guys who are prone to soft tissue injuries a little bit healthier. Maybe you get a little bit more out of that. I get your point about, you know, why does everybody have to be so versatile? What it ends up leaving you with is is a team where nobody's got a real position. Um, But I do think that there's still value in having a super utility guy who can play multiple positions. So that if you do have a a two-week injury at shortstop, you've got a guy that you can plug in. And it's easy to go get a replacement player to be a guy on your bench, right? You can... You, if you if you have an injury in center field, you have a guy to go put out there um, who can play there for two weeks, and then you can bring up a minor leaguer with no real concern that you're that you're um, uh, weakening your team. That's where I think the the real issue, the, the real strength is. Um, some teams look at these super utility guys as they're going to platoon all over the field as much as possible. For some teams, it works out. The Dodgers have made it work. I. I I think it's difficult to find uh, multiple super-utility guys who are, who are championship-caliber players. But I think in, in, in Danny's case, I think, look, this is a guy who could play, uh, you know, if, if, if you decide to go back to Guzman at first base, this is a guy who could play three times a week against uh, left-handed pitchers and, 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 or twice a week against left-handed pitchers at first base. Uh, once every 10 days at second, once every 10 days at short, um, he could pair with with Joey Gallo um, so that Gallo plays some left field um, against some some le- uh, against some left-handed pitchers, and you get another right-handed bat in there uh, with with Santana in center field. I think there's opportunity for the guy to get about 100 starts. And, and listen. He's been absolutely amazing this year, but he still doesn't have 100 starts yet. And, and let's see where where he is at the end of this season. I think what he has done this season and whatever happens in 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 the rest of August and September only is is going to underscore that there's a place for this guy on the roster in 2020. Just don't know if if that is as a 125 to 130 start guy or if it's a guy. Who's more of a ninety to a hundred start guy?
1: Yeah, that's the issue for me with the super utility thing. Is that that they have tried this kind of thing before? They tried it under Jeff Banister, and they just couldn't get regular starts for people, you know, in, in that kind of role. It, it requires a it requires a guy, and, and certainly Chris Woodward seems more uh, qualified. To do this kind of thing than uh, Jeff Banister did. Jeff couldn't get the buy-in from players to do what he wanted. Uh, Chris is Chris just maybe more, you know, uh, organically suited for that kind of thing than uh, than Jeff was. But uh, the the point is is that you know for me right now I you know yeah and you're absolutely right. You can't get too carried away with anything. But there's nothing watching Danny Santana's game. That makes me think that this guy shouldn't be this kind of player. It, it's it's not to me. It's not smoke and mirrors. He's it's a great swing. He's a switch hitter. He's fast. He's he obviously knows how to play the outfield. You watch him the routes he runs, what he does. He's got a good arm. One of what Chris Woodward said the other day was, you know, I think this guy his best position would be center field. Uh, I, I think that, and I think there's few guys. I think he said nobody. I don't know if I go that far. With that skill set to play center field uh and i think what he means by that is that that mike trout's obviously a great center fielder not a great arm uh i think uh, danny has a better arm than, than than uh mike trout has so anyway that's that's quite a statement though to say something like that and for me if, and, and, and I can see what you're saying for the rest of this year. Okay, you keep him in this role for the rest of this year. But in my mind, he's not a first baseman. Uh, and I and I don't know that he's a shortstop. And, and we still don't know what went wrong in Minneapolis. And I know you've been investigating that and, and, and looking into that. Because I think that's a fascinating story. That rookie year, he was terrific. Uh, and then something went wrong for the next two or three years. And so, we, you know, uh, what the Rangers have to figure out is, is he closer now, is what he's doing now what he should have been doing all along, uh, and, and why is that that he's doing it now, and, and has not been doing it before, that we, uh, you know, we, we have lots of speculation about what the problems were, you know, he's, a, he's intensely shy, uh, and, and maybe there's, and sometimes when the guys are that shy, it leads to, ins- it, it's kind of a sign of insecurity and about if something goes wrong, how they deal with that, and how they handle it. As we know in athletics, confidence is everything. Um, and so these are all issues for me going forward, and, and, and here's an organization that's been trying to find a center fielder for years now. If you determine that Danny Santana is an everyday guy, then to me he needs to be playing in center field uh, because you certainly have a hole there. Joey's played it very well, uh, but we, we've seen now this year uh, that, that Joey sometimes has... Health issues, uh, and maybe maybe this team would be better off with him playing left field than in playing in center field, uh, especially if you're going to have a guy play it the way Danny Santana it looks like he can play it. So that's that's my issue for the rest of this year. If they want to keep him in that super utility role, I'm fine with that. I'm just I just don't buy into it too much from the standpoint that that uh, I I don't know that he's necessarily great at any of them. I think they need to get him out of for his. For his mindset, the best thing for him probably is playing in the outfield, just like when Joey Gallo went to the outfield. He loves it now. He loves the fact that I'm out there. He just took a big load off of me of not playing in the infield and worrying about all the things I have to worry about when I'm playing that position because the true value of Joey is uh, obviously on offense and on his, on, in the ability he has to play the outfield and play it very well. Uh, and I think that you have essentially, although it's not the same kind of player, it's a it's a similar skill set uh, that Danny Santana has, and maybe what he offers best is playing in in center field. Well, that's
0: all a, that's, that's all a nice theory, Kevin.
1: <laughs> I knew you'd say that, Evan. We have run out of time here. We're gonna I'm gonna have to get on the phone here with our old pal David Moore to talk about the Cowboys. You know, they're out there in Oxnard, and they got a lot of stuff going on, and supposedly they got the, they're working on several deals at once. Jerry is just breaking his neck to get all these guys signed uh, and, and make everybody happy going into the season. So uh, That's great. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of big stories going on. Evan, you have a good time in Cleveland. Have you run into uh, Baker Mayfield yet?
0: I have not, but my um, my offer still stands. Baker, if you listen to the podcast, I will be happy to shotgun a beer with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, if you bring Nick Chubb along with you, I'll, I'll do it twice. So, wow. So, um, Baker, if you're listening,
1: give I know a you're call. a big Ranger fan. Yeah, give you a call, you know? right? Yeah.
0: Just, all you got to do, I'm on Twitter, at Evan underscore P underscore Grant. Hit me up. Let's go. There's a day game tomorrow. You'll be through with practice or whatever it is you guys do in the football thing. After the words, we'll go and we'll we'll share a beer and we'll talk some baseball.
1: Did you say after the words?
0: After after words.
1: After words. <laughs> I think you said after the words. And by the way, no. is your is your Twitter handle the most awkward in all of uh, sports? It doesn't
0: seem to be impeding my ability to gain followers, <laughs> does it,
1: Kevin? <laughs> oh, there is another there is another low blow, but I'm used to those from you. That's okay. All right, Evan. It's been great talking to you. You go on with your little day and get get done whatever you need to do, and uh, and we'll go talk to David uh, David Moore.
0: Adios.
1: See ya. And there goes Evan Grant uh, with his uh, thoughts on the uh, the so the Rangers, who keep just kind of stumbling along, uh, winning games every once in a while. They don't go in the tank, uh, which I guess says a lot about this team and what it's done this year if nothing else. So, uh, we're also going to have our Cowboys podcast coming right up with uh, David Moore, and who's in Oxnard, and make sure you don't miss that. And for everybody in here, to everybody out there, we'll see you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.